Good evening. We're thankful that you're here this evening. We appreciate uh, the attendance of all. We had a good crowd this morning and again a good crowd this evening as we will be studying together here. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we will begin there in just a moment. But we're thankful that you're here tonight, a time we can spend together in worship, but certainly in fellowship as well. You know, we talked to, uh, let's see, that was probably a few months ago now, maybe uh, early fall, late fall. Uh, we had a sermon one morning on how to become a Paulite, if you remember that. It's kind of born out of a series that I had done one time at Lake Hills about misunderstood passages of the Bible. We talked about on that day about how many people misunderstand Paul's letter to the Corinthians and that he says that uh, Paul says, I did not come to baptize. So people say, well, you don't have to be baptized then. That's not what he's saying in context. What he's saying, of course, is the idea that you don't need to be divided. That if I came and I baptized and folks would say, well, hey, Paul baptized me. You didn't get baptized by Paul. And that's not the idea, of course, behind Christianity. We're baptized in Christ. So people misunderstand passages of the Bible sometimes. And, and we understand, certainly, there are lots of confused people around us, uh, and there are various reasons that that happens from time to time. On that Sunday morning that we talked about that passage, we said that sometimes people are just naive. Uh, they just kind of believe what they've always heard, maybe what uh, they've always heard from their preacher or pastor or from someone, their grandparents, and they just kind of believe that and take that person uh, at their word. Some people are too trusting in the same way. I mean, they just kind of say, well, that's, that's it. I mean, I, I trust that person is older than me. They've got to be wiser. And so I'll just take them for what they say there and believe it. So some people are naive. They're too trusting. We know that some people just don't care. They'll just kind of take the first thing they read or maybe uh, just whatever they find. And they don't care to do more investigation or to study and to look at something. And then certainly some people are self-serving when it comes to what they believe and, and why they practice a certain thing. And so we find people that are sometimes confused on what the Bible has to say on any number of topics. Sometimes it's in regards to worship, and those things are very important. God wants to be worshipped, expects to be worshipped in the way that he has prescribed to us. And then other times it spills over into other areas. And tonight, that's exactly where we find ourselves. Tonight, we're going to get involved in science. Uh, now, believe it or not, I'm going to have to lay this out there, but I am not a scientist, all right? I, I did not stay to Holiday Inn last night or whatever that commercial is, but uh, I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm not an expert in the field of science, um, but I don't think we have to be afraid of science either. I, if you're like me, sometimes there are things in papers that are written that are 30 pages long and they use big long words and ideas and we kind of cower at the, at the idea of I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't know that I could have a discussion with someone. Now, certainly, if you're having a discussion with someone who bears the title doctor and has written a 30-page thesis and all these things, then yes, it might be difficult. But to be able to be informed on something is something we don't have to be afraid of. I am not a scientist, but I know folks who are very talented and knowledgeable, and I can turn to what they have to say, both from the scientific field and even from preachers and other people. Uh, even for studying myself tonight, I, there are lots of good, there are lots of good material out there from Sound Brethren, places like the Apologetics Press and their website. They have lots of books. We have several in our library. There's one that I consulted for this lesson in my library and in our library called "Out with Doubt" by Kyle Butt, and the encouraging things that he talks about science there and the Earth. 
Uh, there's Focus Press. Um, when you talk about Brother Brad, Brad Harib and the work that he does in the scientific realm, uh, and there's a book he has called Convicted that is very good when it comes to a lot of biblical things. And even the Answers in Genesis group. Many of you were able to go on the trip a couple of years ago to see the ark. Uh, we didn't make it to the Creation Museum on that trip, but you can go to the Creation Museum as well. All that is done by a man named Ken Ham, who uh, created this group, Answers in Genesis. Um, we may not agree on salvation, and we don't. We, we know that from visiting those places. But we do agree on what the Bible has to say in regards to creation and even to science. And so all those folks have lots of good information, and we don't have to fear having this kind of discussion. And so tonight, we want to talk about misunderstood passages of the Bible. We can look at Genesis chapter 1, and really we're going to go through the first five verses just to kind of grab one whole section there. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at it together to sort of set the stage for us this evening. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. When we think about this beautiful creation uh, that we live upon here, this beautiful creation of the earth, it is amazing to consider. I had a video that I thought about showing tonight. I may show it another time. It's just a very, very short one, um, but it's, it has to do with the rotation of the earth and, and a camera shooting that at night as the earth rotates. And it's amazing to consider all the scientific facts behind this place that we uh, live upon. And when you think about the first five verses of Genesis, some people would say, well, that's not to be misunderstood. I mean, lots of folks can quote most of that. We, we know that. So would it be possible that people would, would misunderstand this idea of Genesis uh, chapter one, verses one through five? Well, there are many people uh, and we're going to talk in a moment. There are even people that we would consider brethren, but there are many people who might misunderstand the biblical account of creation. You don't have to go very far, and you may have seen something like this before. I know you won't be able to make out all the details of it possibly from your seat. Uh, but this is what's called the geological time spiral. It is put out, you can find it uh, on the internet and other places, by the United States Geological Survey. Now that's a, that's a .gov website there. It's a government thing, and, and I'm not here to talk about uh, the role of government and those kinds of things tonight, but it is a, a government website there the United States Geological Survey that puts this out. And there's all kinds of listing of the different periods there. Maybe you remember studying that uh, when you were in school or something like that. But they would say that this spiral would take place over the course of about 4.5 billion years. This is 4.5 billion years old or older. And so, yeah, when we think about it, we don't have to go very far to realize that many people might misunderstand the biblical account of creation. Many folks have never even picked up a Bible, much less turned to Genesis chapter 1. But then we sometimes say, well, not Christians, right? I mean, surely not Christians would misunderstand the biblical account of creation. But yes, 
We have folks who would misunderstand that, and maybe even brethren. Now, there are many different people that you can read and that you can look at, uh, and several of those that I found in doing my research even author some of the commentaries that we have in our library. Uh, George Zehoff was an advocate of a couple of the theories that we're going to talk about tonight. J.D. Thomas, who was the chairman of the Bible department at Abilene Christian University, said that no man can prove if it is not true in regards to some of these theories that we are going to talk about. Uh, And even Burton Kaufman, and we have some of the Kaufman commentaries, Burton Kaufman commentaries here, uh, would kind of advocate these ideas, these theories that we're going to talk about. Before we get into it here a little bit further, I'll just say again, I don't claim to have all the science figured out. If you have any questions tonight or would like to study further, I would gladly sit down with you at your convenience and mine to do the best we can, reading all of this and trying to understand. But I would like for us to put forth tonight what I consider to be some simple ideas, some simple discussions in regard to these theories. And tonight we're going to focus on two main theories that people put forth to try to fit evolution into the Bible. The first one is called the day-age theory. And if you've got your outline in front of you, that is the first one we're going to talk about. The day-age theory says that the days that are talked about in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1 and there at the beginning, are not literal 24-hour days, but they are ages. So that's where we get day-age theory or eons or even millions of years. This is where Burton Kaufman said that this day-age theory does no injustice to the sacred record. That was his one of his quoted comments that he kind of bought into this day-age theory. I know, again, these things are sometimes hard to see. They're really good on my computer screen, but much harder maybe from your seat. But this is the seven days, day one, Cloud, day two, atmosphere, day three, land and vegetation. You remember some of these from uh, classes here, Bible classes, even down to day seven, that God is now resting. And then on the left-hand side, it says four billion years. So over the course of what those seven days are, that's actually four billion years that are there. They're not literal 24-hour days, but they are ages. And that's where we come up with this idea of the day age theory. So that's one, and we're going to come back and talk about both of these together. The second one is called the gap theory. This is what is known as the fact that there are long periods of time between these days or gaps between these days. It's also known as the literal day and then long gap. So kind of against the day age, they're literal days, But between these days, there are long gaps. Now, some people say that between each day, there is a long gap. Some people say that between Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 and verse number 2, there is a gap. So you see that kind of shown here on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. There's a gap of billions of years. And then the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then you read and continue on with those other three verses that we read just a few moments ago. These are two interesting theories. There are lots of people who would promote them on one side or the other. Lots of scientific people who claim to have lots of knowledge. And I'm sure they are very, very smart folks in the field of science. But I thought it was interesting. I found this quote. Uh, Sir Arthur Keith was a Scottish uh, anthropologist. He was kind of a well-known scientist. And in his preface to what was the 100th anniversary of Darwin's Origin of Species, which we kind of attribute to this idea of evolution, 
I'll say this here too as well. When you use the word evolutions, there's sometimes a lot that goes into that. Uh, it can be a very broad term for different things. You use evolution with one person, they may say something. You use it with someone else and they kind of may take a different take on it. Uh, but in Darwin's Origin of Species, the 100th anniversary preface, Sir Arthur Keith said, the conclusion I have come to is this. The law of Christ is incompatible with the law of evolution. Nay, the two laws are at war with each other. It's a pretty powerful statement by someone in that field, in that realm, to say you can't fence straddle. <laughs> you can't be one or the other. You can't uh, you know, be lukewarm. You, you've got to be one or the other there. You've got to kind of say, well, I'm either with this idea of evolution or I'm with this idea of the law of Christ and the biblical account of creation. Trying to fence straddle is going to cause you a problem here. And so that's by someone who uh, would even have more of agreement on the scientific side, we might say. So one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight and spend a good bit of time on in the next few moments breaks down to the word day. That idea of the day-age theory is, is a day, as it's used in the Bible, a literal 24-hour day? So some people would say, can we really argue about the meaning of the word day? Well, I found a comic. I think this might have been through the answers in Genesis group, and I thought it was kind of interesting. This says some people try to argue that the meaning of the word day isn't important, but it is. This guy says, just to be clear, when you say day, and he says next day delivery guaranteed, you don't mean some identified long period of time, right? Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, if I want next day guaranteed, I mean literal 24 hours that I expect delivery to wherever I'm trying to send this package but if you mean that day means ages and it may not get there for months or years or eons then you know we need to understand what the word day means it kind of sounds kind of silly uh, and again it says some people try to argue uh, that the word of day isn't important but it really is if your teacher says that your test is going to be in three days well, you know what does he or she mean well the word day is kind of important in that discussion, and it will be important for us to consider tonight. So some considerations for you here. Number one, day means day. Day means day. The days of creation, of the creation week, were of the same type as the ordinary Hebrew work week. Maybe you recall in Exodus chapter 20, then when the Ten Commandments are given there, and Moses is speaking these, God is speaking these to Moses to give to the people. Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It's interesting to note that the Hebrew work week, this idea of working six days and resting on the Sabbath, would have been patterned after something. If you've been in our class on Wednesday night, we talked about this even just a few days ago. The idea that baptism is not just something that God sort of made up off the cuff, just out of thin air. It sort of symbolizes or patterns, if you will, after the idea of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It makes sense. We die and we're buried and we raise again. Hebrew work week wasn't necessarily just thought out of thin air, working six days and resting the seventh. It's patterned after the days of creation. We think about as well, if six equals six, then does anyone think that the Hebrew work week consisted of six ages? All right, if the, day, the word day means ages here, then day is day, age is age, is what we you know, are kind of thinking about. If day age is true, 
then maybe they were supposed to work for six ages and then rest for the seventh age. There's some, some issues here with this word. Uh, and when we think about it, there's even some more to consider along these lines. Now, when we come to this idea of the word day, meaning day, especially as it's used here, let me say that we understand that the word day can be used sometimes in a different context. For instance, if I say, and we're talking, and we talk about days gone by, we're talking about a period, if you will, the days gone by, a, a period of old, times that have been in the past, not one particular day, but a time past. We understand that the words might be used that way, so then we have to consider context, do we not? And one of the things that we think about with this idea of the word day is a general rule of interpretation when it comes to interpreting the Bible demands that the words be viewed literally unless there is a compelling reason for giving them a figurative sense. Now, that's a lot there to kind of consider, but what are we saying? We're saying that context matters. If you turned away from Genesis 1, maybe to look over at Exodus, going back to Genesis chapter 1 there, the other word that we would focus on tonight, and if you've got your outline, the Hebrew word that is used here is yom, Y-O-M. And a couple things about that, especially in regards to the context. Notice in verse number 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. What would be the context here? Well, it sounds like God would be saying by inspiration that there's an evening and a morning, that there's a morning and an evening. So the context would lend itself to this idea of a day, not days gone by, not ages or eons of time, but a day. A couple of other things of interest here. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, this particular Hebrew word, and when you talk about these things with someone, this is where a lot of the discussion is going to center on. It's going to center on a lot of Hebrew words that most of us haven't studied in detail. But when this word is used, whenever a number comes before the word day in the Old Testament, all right, so here we see in verse number five, the first day. And you know the rest, the second day, the third day. In the Old Testament, non-prophetic literature, when this word is used with a number, it always means a literal 24-hour period of time. When the word is used in a plural sense, like in Exodus chapter 20 that we just looked at, the Ten Commandments, for in six days, when it's used in the plural sense, it always means a literal 24-hour period. In fact, we don't have time to go through it tonight because it is 700 times. 700 times this word is used in non-prophetic literature. And again, talking about not like days gone by. And every time it means a literal 24-hour day. That's what it's referring to. So we can talk about the words, we can sit here and break this down, but for the sake of time tonight, we kind of have to go forward with this idea that yes, when it's used, it's used in the literal 24-hour sense. Moving a little bit further here, think about science. We said we're going to talk about science tonight. We kind of have a problem with science because science wouldn't exactly work if they're, they're not 24-hour literal days. Vegetation couldn't live. The plants couldn't be pollinated. The way the earth works would have a problem if day does not mean day, a literal 24-hour day. So when we consider this argument, these different arguments for the day-age theory in particular here, 
but even the gap theory sort of included in, we have to understand that day means day when it's used here in many other contexts in the Old Testament. Moving a little bit further, what about 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8? Are you familiar with that passage? I know many of us are if you want to turn over there uh, because maybe it doesn't ring a bell right off the bat. But 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Well, some people would say a day is a thousand years to God. Well, I mean, we can begin to argue about that. But it's interesting to note here one thing is that Peter doesn't say that, the, that one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The word as is used here. It is as, is as a thousand years. Years. Not only that, but again, when we talk about the context, if you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, what's going on is Peter is saying, I'm talking about the coming of Christ. And Peter is saying here that some people are saying that God was taking too long. In their opinion, God was taking too long to return. But what Peter is saying is this, God is not bound by man's time. Peter is simply pointing out that time does not affect the promises of or warnings from God. In fact, we go even further into verse number 9. And we are thankful. We are thankful for the fact that God is long-suffering toward us. He gives us time. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that he blesses us with that opportunity. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. But what we're saying is, is that God is not bound by our wishes. We can sit here all day and say, well, God should have already come back. This world is going to a terrible place and it's, he's taking too long. He's not bound by what I want. He's not bound by time. His promises, his warnings do not come from what we think. So yes, as Peter uses it here, first of all, it's not so much the literal is a thousand years, but it as is a thousand years. And at the same time, in context, that's not what Peter is talking about here when it comes to this section. A couple of other things here and the lesson will be yours. A question, can we allow modern science to interpret scripture? When we think about the things that we consider, we're going to begin walking in dangerous territory if we're not careful. Because modern science is often wrong. Have you ever known something to change? Let me ask you this, is coffee good for you or is it bad for you? Or is chocolate good for you or is it bad for you? Because I think it's good for you. And you know that about me if you've known me for any length of time. I think chocolate's good for you. But you can read one thing from someone and something from someone else. And, and it's interesting. We have to try to get to the root of things. We have to try to take it all in context and what people are saying. But modern science can be wrong about some things. And not only that, theories change. I found this interesting, and again, in doing research, someone said, and I didn't dig even deeper, but someone said that when Darwin visited the Galapagos and he wrote his Origin of, of Species there, that he said that the earth was about 25 million years old. That was what Darwin said. Now we go back to our geological time survey and closer to the year 2000 and where we are today, now they're saying that the earth is 4.5 billion years old. Again, I, I can't argue all the scientific facts behind it with, and with these detailed folks, but I would caution you to, to understand 
that yes, we have to be careful when we think about modern science and interpret scripture through those eyes. We know in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15 that we need not be ashamed as we've talked about. If we're going to be approved of God, we do not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. God's word is truth. That's what we can turn to and we can take comfort. As we said at the very beginning of the lesson, you don't have to fear. You don't have to be the most knowledgeable. But you don't have to run and hide either when it comes to some of these things that we're talking about even tonight. And then one more question here, kind of moving back more directly to the gap theory. One of the things that has happened with the gap theory or where it comes from is that people say that God's original creation was in Genesis 1-1. All right, Genesis 1-1 was God's original, underlying original creation. The earth was fully functional. There were animals, there were plants, there were even humans that were pre-Adam, humans that were on the earth. Genesis 1-1, it was God's original creation, fully functional. Then they say that there was a war between God and Satan. That war was fought here on earth. And one of the issues with this gap theory is that some people say that God made his creation Genesis 1-1, and then it was destroyed due to Satan's disobedience and his rebellion. So this war was fought here upon earth between God and Satan, and the earth was destroyed. And then we turn to Genesis 1-2, and the earth was left without form and void, as we read there in Genesis 1-2. So the question that we have to kind of consider tonight is where is another creation or a second creation or where is this war that took place? Why didn't God share that with us? And why do we not read about it anywhere in there? How do we cram all that between Genesis 1 and Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2? And not only that, but we kind of have a problem there, as we said a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 11 from the Ten Commandments. For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. In six days, God made everything. In six days. So where do we kind of come up with this idea of Genesis 1-1, this war, this destruction of the earth, this second creation in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2? A couple of things for you tonight to conclude our thoughts. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible? Do you trust God? And his word. And if you do on creation, then why not on salvation? And in connection with that, why not on eternity? You see, these are deep questions. I understand that. It's hard to fit it in 30 minutes on a Sunday night. And it's something that I would, again, wouldn't mind sitting down and studying with you if you want to know more or to try to study more to truly understand. Because I found myself this week spending lots of time visiting lots of places, reading and trying to understand this. These are some serious questions to consider, though, when it comes to the word of God and creation. But I'll leave you with one final thought here, and I threw part of it into your outline there if you've got it in front of you. These theories really only do two things, and that is that they would compromise the word of God and attempt to fit the Bible into evolution or maybe even the evolution into the Bible. And we come back to that very important theory or the very important question of why. Why do we try to fit evolution into the Bible? Some of those publications and writers and, and things, websites that I gave to you earlier, there's some great studies there to consider 
uh, uh, why we don't have to try to fit evolution into the creation account in the record of the Bible. It can get a little deep. It can get uh, a little hard. I was looking at the Apologetics Press website, and they had an article on both of these theories, and it got a little long and listed there, and it was hard to kind of read through all of it, but it was very interesting. And I would challenge you to consider all of these things. Not just take me at my word, not take any particular writer at their word, but to consider the Bible and consider what it has to say. We don't have to try to fit billions of years in there. We don't have to try to agree with science in that way so that we can all get along. Maybe God's creation was made the way he designed it, the way he put it here, and we don't have to try to fit that in there. We're thankful for your attention tonight and trying to understand these things. I appreciate your patience with me as I try to think about them and share them with you as well. But as we conclude our lesson tonight, we pause to extend the Lord's invitation as we always do. Because that's the most important thing in this world. We think about being a child of God, being a part of the body of his church. And tonight, if you are here and you are not a Christian, we'll be singing to implore you, to encourage you. The blood of Christ has already been offered on the cross. It is there for the remission of our sins. If we would be baptized for the remission of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins, that we can raise to walk a newness of life. Maybe you've done that in times past, but you stand in need of repentance, confession, and prayer. Being made whole again. The idea of the question, is your life right with God? That's what we want to consider this night, and we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.